When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. This is Andrew Bowser. And I'm Sapphire Sandalo. And welcome to Alter Weekly. Today on the show, we're going to be talking to Colton Scrivener, a PhD student studying how horror fans are coping with the pandemic. And we'll sit down with filmmaker Brian Keith Montgomery Jr. to talk about why horror is the perfect genre to tackle the relevant social issues of our time. And then we'll be launching our very own movie club, The Alter Society. Woo! So stick around to find out what movie we'll be watching this week. But before that, Bowser, how was your Halloween? Okay, to follow up on last week's conversation, um, I had planned a whole month of movie watching with friends, and the final movie for the month of October was Ernest Scared Stupid, and let me tell you, Sapphire, it bombed. It bombed (laughs) horribly. Uh, But seriously, I, I think I have a warped understanding of how much Ernest matters to people other than myself. I had oh, no. I had told my friends what we were watching, mm-hmm. and uh, we went to their backyard. They had a projector. Uh, we had you know we brought our own food and drink, and we kept our distance. And as soon as it started, my British friend Ryan said, "Wait, why are we watching this?" And I was like, "Oh, I could feel I was losing the crowd." And then his wife, who's Canadian, uh, she she was more willing to get into it. But okay. she even had a blind spot with who Ernest was. And I just realized, of course, this isn't going to connect to anyone. Right. Except Ernest, for me. It's a very American uh, franchise, right? It's a very American franchise. And it also arguably was not as big as Pee Wee. It, it mm-hmm. wasn't uh, that known. Uh, but, I, man, I don't know. I was a Ernest head through and through. <laughs> so I really felt like I let my friends down. I mean... My wife fell asleep. My friend, my friend Ryan was on his phone the whole time. And uh, God bless my friend Anne uh, tried to engage and asked me a lot of questions about Ernest. And I told her about how me and my friend Alex would dress up like Ernest and, and quote him to each other. But I, I sat there and realized I could have just done this by myself. Oh, my I God. Shouldn't have, I shouldn't have subjected them to Ernest Scared Stupid. But in revisiting the movie, mm-hmm. it still slaps. Does it, Just though? so you know. It really does. <laughs> does it it's a lot of fun and once it starts moving the monsters are great they're done by the chiodo brothers who did killer clowns from outer space so you see kind of like shades of the killer clowns in there and eartha kit is in it whoa what she yeah and she is committed she's doing a bit and she's locked in Ernest is locked in i'm telling you (laughs) 
So a a success for me, but a failure for everyone else that had to watch it. Wow. I actually don't think... I mean, if I saw that movie at one point in my life, I don't remember anything about it. I don't know if I was much of an earnest kid. (laughs) (laughs) You'd you'd know if you were. I I guess I wasn't. It's a lot of fun. It's about trolls that rise up from the underground and they can only be killed with uh, one of two things, either milk or unconditional love. Wow. Um, well, how was your Halloween? How was the doggy costume contest? And I want to hear about this Queen Mary ghost hunt. Ooh, let me tell you. So, um, doggy costume contest was cute. Uh, a couple of my cousins bailed, so it was only uh, three of us. Um, and <laughs> out of the three, I got third place. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, that's fantastic. I know. Uh, I So I was dressed as Snow I don't know if I, I think I did mention what I was last week, but I was dressed as Snow White, and then my three-legged dog was an apple, so it was like the bitten poison apple. So how did you get third? And also, who was voting? Um, the, My family. My grandma. Okay. Oh my gosh, your grandma placed you third? I know. Well, that's rough. second place was my younger cousin um who what, what was she oh she was a care bear and then she dressed her tiny chihuahua as a little rainbow very cute okay that's cute um, and then my cousin who won uh she dressed up as ariel and then her dog's name is ursula and it's this tiny little black chihuahua and she made she did like a handmade ursula outfit so it's like okay wow points okay. for you know trying <laughs> points for trying but i do think the pairing of Snow White with the apple is I a really know. clever pairing. I know. They didn't get yeah. it. It's okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry. We both then maybe had a, a bit of a failure on Halloween. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. <laughs> oh, but the Queen Mary was dope. Um, <laughs> we were there for a very long time. We had to get there at like 3 p.m. to do the COVID testing. And it was a blood test. I'd never done that before. So they prick your finger and then... Um, in 15 minutes, they know if you have it or not. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Do you, are you familiar with the Estes method? No. <gasps> oh, my God. Do you know what a spirit box is? Yes. Okay. I've actually, I've like written a short film. I made a short film about a spirit box. I went heavy into spirit box stuff for a while. Ooh, okay. So Estes method is basically you playing, like being a human spirit box. And the way that works is... You sit down, you are blindfolded, and you have headphones. And inside the headphones, they play, like, very loud white noise. And the theory Hmm. is that if there's any spirits in the room, they'll use the white noise, manipulate it, and then the person who's, like, listening in on the headphones just basically says out loud what they hear. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, like, you can't hear what the people in the room are asking. So it's, like, literally just... uh, just you're just interpreting it whatever like you hear and what was wild was like my friend rachel she did it in the engine room of the queen mary so the engine room is apparently very very active and there was a couple times where her responses like perfectly matched what we were talking about like for example halfway through um uh, one of the investigators, Susan, Susan Slaughter. Oh, you know Susan. Um, I know Susan. Yeah, Susan's dope. Um, She's fantastic. <laughs> she started introducing everyone in the room. She's like, well, I'm Susan. This is Sapphire. And then my friend Rachel goes, hi. <laughs> I was just like, what? Oh. 
<laughs> That's so weird. Just something That's like cool. That. Yeah, it was cool. That's amazing. Gosh. Well, we need to do that together one time. If oh, not my the Queen God. Son, I would love that. We need to go that. on a ghost hunt. <laughs> well, you know what time it is, Sapphire. It's time for the News Slash. News Slash. News Slash. That's right. There is a prequel to the 2009 film Orphan in the works. It is now titled Orphan First Kill. It was formerly titled Esther. Julia Stiles has joined the cast with William Brent Bell directing. He made The Boy. And Isabel Furman will be back as the titular Orphan. Jordan Peele is producing a new take on Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs for Universal. Peele will produce alongside Wynne Rosenfeld for Monkey Paw Productions. Though Peele is not expected to direct the film himself, it remains unclear whether or not he and or Rosenfeld will have a hand in writing the script. Halloween box office news, Amblin's monster movie Come Play tops the weekend box office, and the original Halloween makes the top 10. Come Play opened in 2,183 theaters within the United States this past weekend, scaring up $3.2 million to come in at number one on the weekend's box office charts. Other horror films that made the top 10 on Halloween include The Empty Man at number 5, Hocus Pocus at number 6, Nightmare Before Christmas at number 7, and John Carpenter's Halloween at number 8. That's it. That's it for News Slash. News Slash. Colton Scribner is a Ph.D. student in the Department of Comparative Human Development and a fellow at the Institute for Mind and Biology at the University of Chicago. Here's our chat with Colton where he talks about his studies on morbid curiosity and how horror fans have been coping with the pandemic. Well, thank you for joining us, Colton. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. So I guess to start with, um, what do you do? I, I came across... Your article, Do Horror Fans Have More Fun During a Pandemic? That's the title of it, correct? Correct. Yeah, the one for Nautilus. Yes. So what, what that you do led to the writing of that piece? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, so <laughs> I, I'm interested in why people uh, play with fear. So why do people uh, derive enjoyment from something that presumably is negative? You know, in most animals, including humans, fear is typically negative, right? Uh, so how can you shape fear to make it sort of an object of play or make it something that's interesting or fun? Uh, and so that's what led to, to that piece. One thing uh, that I was immediately struck by reading the article was this idea that because horror fans engage with fear for fun, uh, they might have built up some sort of resilience to fear, even real-world fear, like what we're experiencing during this pandemic. And for people that haven't read the article, I guess I'd, I'd like to hear how you went about looking into that question and finding the answer to that question. How, how did you run experiments around that? Well, we, uh, you know, when the pandemic started, uh, a lot of our other research kind of was put on hold because we couldn't do in-person research. Um, so I had some other things going on, but they were kind of on hold at the moment. And so, so you, you were already looking into fear and how we engage with it. Yeah, I was looking into uh, I had a study going on morbid curiosity where I built this right. cabinet of morbid curiosities, I guess. Uh, and people would inspect it uh, wearing eye tracking glasses and then uh, they would choose certain items to pick up and inspect further. And the idea is to see. Uh, you know, what items would people go for? And is it the same kinds of things that they would look at and the same kinds of things they would want to learn about? And then does this track with 
uh, trait morbid curiosity, so your, your degree of morbid curiosity. So you're doing this study on morbid curiosity and then the pandemic hits. That's when you decided to pivot right. to study how we engage with fear during something like this? Yeah, so you know, my, some of my collaborators and I have talked before about this idea that uh, horror fans might actually be good at dealing with anxiety in the real world because they sort of deal with it on a simulated basis through you know, books or podcasts or TV shows or movies or whatever. Um, and so when the pandemic hit, it offered kind of this, uh, in addition to sort of shutting down a lot of our other work, so we had a lot of free time, uh, it offered this uh, chance to study something in sort of a naturalistic setting, right? I mean, the pandemic is something that's affecting everybody, um, certainly in the U.S. And so it was kind of a natural manipulation of sorts so that we could see, you know, how are horror fans dealing with something that uh, is affecting everyone and is kind of anxiety inducing and and uh, full of uncertainty because it was so novel and people weren't sure, uh, you know, how things would turn out. Um, and so basically, yeah, we, we decided to uh, run this study to see how horror fans were dealing with the pandemic. So are they more resilient, less resilient? Are they feeling prepared for it? Did they feel unprepared for it? And so how did you run those studies? What were they, reading the article, I just thought, how did you gather this, this information uh, yeah. just by interviewing fans and asking them about where they were emotionally, whether or not they were feeling fear about these specifics? Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty close. I, uh, there are some online sites that you can use to recruit people. Uh, basically, you pay them like you would a participant in the lab, and they you know, do a study or do a marketing survey or whatever it is. Um, so the one that we use for this is called Prolific. Uh, and it's just a, you know, a database where people can go and essentially do these surveys uh, for money. And so we recruited, I think it was about 320 people or so. And we created this pandemic resilience scale. And the reason we created this scale was because, uh, you know, there, there are a lot, of pand uh, a lot of resilience scales that exist, psychological resilience scales. But these are typically uh, used to assess resilience in the face of a one-time event, something like, a natural disaster, you know, a tornado or a hurricane or a flood or a terrorist attack or, you know, something that's like a one-time event. It happens one time. Uh, in the pandemic, it's, you know, something that's been dragging on for months. Um, and so the questions didn't really make sense, you know. It would say things right. like, you know, how have you felt since this occurred? But you can't say how have you felt since... It is occurring. Yeah, <laughs> it's currently occurring, right? And so we, you know, we took questions kind of from some of these good, these scales that were well validated, and we uh, tried to sort of change them so that they made sense in light of something like a pandemic. And then after that, we asked them some of their genre preferences. So we didn't recruit just horror fans. We sort of just recruited a general sample of people. Some of them were horror fans, some of them were not. Uh, so we asked them, you know, to what degree are you, would you say that you are a horror fan? Or to what degree would you say you are a romance fan or a comedy fan? Or And then we had some sort of uh, subgenres, subgenres in there like supernatural or uh, zombie flicks or alien invasion, uh, things like thrillers. Um, I was going to ask: Did the subgenre and the interest in the subgenres make a difference? Because I would think, mm. you know, I watch Pumpkinhead every day. Okay, that's my favorite, <laughs> my favorite horror movie of all time. It's a good one. It's probably my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I may cope better with a Pumpkinhead sighting, but um, just because I'm a horror fan, maybe I don't cope as well with the idea of an outbreak or infection, something that has to do with uh, zombies or, you know, the thing, this unknown right. entity. Did it matter uh, the subgenre? Were people that were exposed to zombie flicks more 
more willing to cope with our current situation? Yeah, there were some differences. So horror fans in general were doing pretty good. So hmm. sort of the, the main finding from it was that if you were a horror fan, just broadly, right, uh, you were experiencing less psychological distress. So this means you were reporting fewer symptoms uh, of anxiety, of depression, of irritability, sleeplessness, sort of the, the physiological manifestations of anxiety, basically. Mm-hmm. But the, as you mentioned, there are some, uh, some genre differences. So one of them that stuck out uh, were that Uh, fans of prepper genres so this is a genre we kind of uh, created based on this idea that you know there are some horror uh, horror films where the plot is basically centers around a catastrophic event and then the world has now changed and social institutions aren't operating people can't really be trusted you know maybe there's some uh, entity that's trying to uh, hurt humanity or hurt civilization Mm -hmm. And so these would be things like zombie films, apocalyptic films, alien invasion films, anything where there was a kind of catastrophic event that shifted how the world operated. And so we combined mm-hmm. those into this prepper genre. Uh, and what we found with them was that they also experienced you know, less psychological distress like normal horror fans, but they also reported feeling more prepared, which kind of makes sense, right? If you like preppery kind of movies, uh, yeah. you might kind of learn what does the world look like when... Uh, social institutions break down you know should you be should you trust people how do people behave when uh something catastrophic happens uh, so yeah there were there were some uh sort of sub-genre differences and then of course people who watched a lot of pandemic films also reported feeling uh, more prepared for the pandemic i've got to say uh, and i know it's too late to be a part of your study but <laughs> me me <laughs> and my wife would be perfect candidates for this because I saturate my environment with horror films and horror imagery. And she is a stylist for interior design. And everything's very clean and everything's very, (laughs) very attractive to the eye and calming. And if she walks into the room while I'm watching a horror film, the energy she receives from it is, oh my gosh, shut this off. I can't. (laughs) It's immediately uh, agitative to her. And it causes unrest. And she feels afraid. I'm sitting there and I feel like I'm sitting in a warm bath when I'm watching these movies. It's, it's actually that I'm not scared. Right. Um, and the odd thing is that when, when uh, something has occurred where, where you would assume real fear would be triggered, just take the, the recent earthquake that we had. Um, I had fallen asleep on the couch after, I think, watching Batman and Robin for some reason. Um, and having a few martinis, we'd had a movie night over Zoom with friends, and, and she was up uh, talking to the cats and getting ready for bed, and the earthquake hit, and I was, was, was rolled off the couch by it and got right up on my feet, and I was like, we're in it. Here we go. I mean, I was ready because I feel like I live. Yeah. I don't know if it's the horror films or my anxiety because I am also a very anxious person. So one of those, though, in a way has prepared me where – I felt more present and I hate to say alive, but I felt almost excited by being um, um, activated Mm. and I didn't feel fear. Whereas she was normally the calm person during that earthquake, losing her mind. We, we should uh, we should definitely <laughs> talk about anxiety and horror later because there's some interesting stuff that I've been doing recently. Oh, I'd love to, to talk about it now if you want. I mean, sure. I, one of my questions is, she says she thinks the horror films cause me anxiety. I say 
I have anxiety. And I, I know you didn't mean you just want to talk about my personal anxiety. <laughs> but I say I've already got the anxiety. The horror films are actually this, this kind of relief from it or escape yeah. from it. Um, so that then when it's in the real world, it, it affects me less. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where my research is now heading. Because when I started publishing uh, some of the stuff on, on morbid curiosity and horror fans and resilience, uh, I started getting contacted by some clinical psychologists who were really interested in this idea. Uh, and some of them even told me, funny enough, uh, that they had prescribed like basically horror films to some of their uh, patients. Who had wow. anxiety. Oh, I love you know, this, that. this is not uh, you know like a broad scale thing, but but uh, you know specific cases. I said you know this person or or people would say that my my uh, psychologist told me to try horror films to see if it would help. At least a sub portion of horror fans, it does seem to be uh, a huge factor in their mental health. Like it helps them deal with it. And so I've actually started asking people who this who this seems to work for. Uh, what do they? What do they think is going on? You know, just trying to get a sense of sort of their their intuition about why they think horror films help, right? And some of them are a little more introspective than others. But uh, we actually did this at, at the haunt as well, at the haunted house in Denmark. Uh, we asked people who had went through. You know, do you have clinical anxiety or or depression, um, or do you feel like you suffer from anxiety if you've not been clinically diagnosed? And and people who had clinical anxiety, you know a decent portion of them said that the haunt helped them with it, even if they weren't experiencing symptoms right then. Um, and if you, I've done studies online where I've asked people, uh, you know, do you have clinical anxiety and depression uh, or depression? And uh, if so, have you ever tried using Corey to, co- uh, to cope with this? And probably about 25 or 30% of the sample says, yes, I've tried this and it works. Um, so it's not clear if it just doesn't work for the other people or if maybe they haven't tried it. Um, but there's a seems to be a, a substantial portion of people for which this does work. And if you ask them why, they'll tell you. Of, often, what I get is uh, something around the theme of you know, if I have clinical anxiety, I'm often ruminating about something you know that happened mm-hmm. earlier in the day, maybe some small thing or happened yesterday, and, and I can't get it out of my mind. Um, and so when I turn on a horror film, that sort of switches, uh, it shifts the, the feelings of anxiety are no longer associated with what I'm ruminating about, but are now associated with whatever the monster is on the screen, right? The killer on the screen is now mm-hmm. what my anxiety sort of uh, is attributed to. And so when the movie ends, uh, the feelings of anxiety go away. And, hmm. and, and then, of course, at the end, you know, if you, if you go through sort of a thrilling experience, you get uh, an adrenaline rush, you get kind of a dopamine boost, and those can make, yeah. you, uh, those can make you feel good. They feel rewarding. They can uh, sort of stabilize or even boost your mood. And so it's sort of this double, double whammy of your anxiety going away because it's now associated with the film and the film's over. But also, if it was, a, if it was scary hmm. enough, not only is your anxiety gone, but now you might have a mood boost. And I don't know if that resonates hmm. uh, with your experience, but that seems to be a pretty common theme that people are telling me uh, is happening. It, it definitely resonates with, with me. I think um, one of the, uh, one of the f- first things to really terrify me was uh, a, a television promo for Child's Play 2. <laughs> because, <laughs> because the character's name in that movie is Andy. My name's Andrew. As a kid, I was Andy. And uh, I remember seeing Chucky say, I'm coming for you, Andy. <laughs> and I had just purchased a My Buddy doll uh, <laughs> and that I then made my mother keep in her closet. But I remember that I, I, I gave 
fear a lot of power. I gave things that scared me a lot of power. I really thought like, well, that's the end of the road. I mean, I mean, if I see Chucky, if I see that TV commercial again, who I'm done. I, I just thought like, there's nothing beyond that. That amount of fear, I can't even confront it. Um, and then when I finally decided to watch horror films and kind of live through that up and down and come out on the other side, yeah, it's kind of twofold. It's one, I've gone on this ride and I am okay. And the more I watched, the more I actually kind of took them in and and uh, took ownership of them and now want to create them. But also, I do think they acted as a, a lightning rod for my own fears and anxieties. And yeah. they would attach to those movies during that time and take me off of, uh, of ruminating. Bowser, the way that you're describing how horror has helped you, like when I think about my own life, I feel like it's different um and i'm wondering um colton if like you can psychoanalyze me <laughs> but <laughs> i think okay so i am everyone's a freaking anxious person but um i also <laughs> am very anxious about everything and i f- am afraid of a lot of stuff like i'm afraid of ocean i'm afraid of heights i'm afraid of just ge- like life in general <laughs> and i think what draws me to horror and ghost stories is because i can get that rush Mm -hmm. like i'm not an adrenaline junkie like i'm not gonna go skydiving um like i don't do anything where if i died doing it and anyone would think oh well what did she expect and like i don't do that stuff (laughs) but like i can still get that rush when i watch a horror movie i go to interactive haunted houses that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. but i don't think doing that makes me feel any braver in a real world situation like when you said you were excited for the earthquake earthquakes terrify me (laughs) i am like freaking afraid of the big one happening real soon yeah and no amount of horror movie would ever make me feel not that way so i guess yeah. i don't know uh, yeah. fix me colton <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> so it's interesting to me that you uh mentioned that because if you were to ask you know a random person on the street uh, why do you think people like horror films a lot of people would say uh, because they're adrenaline junkies, right? They get the adrenaline rush from the horror mm-hmm. film or from the haunted house, and that's that's why they like it. And you know that's that's true for some people. Some people do like horror films because they like the adrenaline rush. Uh, so we've actually done some research on this, uh, both both here and, and in the U.S. and also at the Haunt in uh, in Denmark. Uh, and what, what we find is that yes, it's true that some people are adrenaline junkies and and do get the adrenaline rush, and that's what they like about it. But at least, you know, this year at The Haunt, for example, uh, Adrenaline Junkies, so, so we, we created this uh, questionnaire, sort of assessment tool to determine, you know, are people Adrenaline Junkies or, or White Knucklers, right? So White Knucklers uh, are people who are pretty afraid of, of horror and try to sort of minimize their arousal. And it comes from obviously clenching your fist and having the White Knuckles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we find is that, you know, maybe... 30, 40, 50% of the people who go to the haunt are, are white knucklers. So why, why are these people mm. going to the haunt, right? Yeah, so, and they would say the same thing. They would say, uh, you know, I'm not an adrenaline junkie. I don't want to go skydiving. I don't want to go you know, bungee jumping or anything like that. Um, but they'll, they like horror movies, or at least they'll watch them. Uh, they'll go to the haunted house. And so this year what we did is we tried to figure out, you know, why are people who are not adrenaline junkies, what do they get from horror? And one of the things that we were finding is that these white knucklers uh, were reporting that, you know, when they came out of the haunt, we asked them this kind of strange question. Uh, we just said, 
do you feel like you learned something about yourself based on the experiences in the haunt? Uh, and then we asked them another question, do you feel like you've developed as a person based on these experiences? Uh, mm -hmm. And adrenaline junkies in general said no, right? They didn't feel like they'd learned something, but they did say that they felt better. So after the haunt, they would say they felt really good, right? They had the dopamine uh, spike from the thrilling experience, makes them feel good, right? The white knucklers, on the other hand, uh, didn't really report a, a mood boost after the haunt, but they did report that they learned something or that they developed as a person. And so we sort of probed them further. You know, if they said yes to this, we asked yeah. them, okay, well, what do you think you learned? Um, and there were a lot of really interesting answers to this, but a lot of them uh, centered around sort of uh, awareness of their own emotions and their behaviors. So they learned how they, in, in this particular case, like, uh, they a lot of them would say that uh, I learned that I'm not as scared as I thought I was, or I learned how hmm. to. I learned that I can, uh, you know, act rationally uh, and and do well under stressful situations, um, or I learned sort of where my boundaries are for fear, uh, or I learned that uh, hmm. you know I can be brave for other people in my group, and so the, the ah. and so there's a lot of really interesting things coming out of this because uh, I think this kind of goes against the grain a little bit for. If you ask people, you know, why do you think uh, people like horror movies? It's almost never, you know, nobody would ever say, well, because they learn something about themselves when they watch it. That's just not a common answer that you get. But there seems to be a huge portion of people that, that do get that. Um, and then, you know, we had this, we also had this sort of third group that we've been trying to identify. So there's also this third group, you know, if we do the statistical analysis, there's like two big groups that come out. So there are adrenaline junkies and white knucklers. But there's this third group that tends to pop up as well, and we're not sure what to call them yet. We've sort of we've been calling them dark copers, which sounds kind of bad, but it's really an, it's an affectionate <laughs> term, I promise. Um, dark copers. Dark copers. Yes, sounds kind of cool. Ooh, like I want to be a dark coper. Yeah, um, that's like an X Men spinoff. Yeah. <laughs> so the, these people uh, are the people that we talked about earlier. These are the people who are using uh, dark or macabre things to cope with uh, the real world, or cope with their own anxiety, or to cope with um, you know, whatever's going on in their life. And it's interesting because they sort of share uh, certain things with adrenaline junkies and they share certain things with white knucklers. So they're, they score sort of, you know, in the middle for adrenaline junkies. So they're not full-blown adrenaline junkies. Like they probably wouldn't go skydiving. Um, but they, they do enjoy the rush. They get the mood boost. Um, and they share some things with white knucklers. They are really afraid of the haunt. Um, but they feel like they learned something. So if you look at this, it's kind of cool because you see adrenaline junkies, mood boost, didn't learn or develop. White knucklers, no mood boost, did learn and develop. And then if you look at dark copers, they're like the perfect horror fan. They get the mood boost, they learn about themselves and feel like they develop as a person. So they're like hitting all of those main uh, areas that, of, of what you might get out of uh, recreational fear. I think I'm wow. a dark coper. I think a lot of horror fans. I, you know, I think a lot of horror fans <gasps> might be right. It's just uh, it's not yeah. something that's really been talked about. That much. can that be what we call people who listen to this yes. show? Yes, <laughs> that's a great idea. What's up, dark coper? <laughs> I said yes, even though Colton didn't necessarily give us permission to use please, it. I already said yes. Please, please popularize that. Please popularize that. So that when I try to publish yes. it, people aren't like, "What, dark coper?" Right. Because <laughs> that really rings true. Because. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not an adrenaline junkie, but I, I'm not a white knuckler. Like yeah, I said, yeah. I I, mm -hmm. I sit through these things because I, I do feel like somebody asked me once, um, why do you love horror so much? And why is it your favorite genre? And 
my response was something along the lines of, well, it's the only genre that deals with the shit I'm interested in dealing yeah. with. Yeah. I didn't know how else to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of seems like the MO of a dark cobra. Dark cobras, yeah. <laughs> well, Colton, thank you so much for being here. I feel like I learned so much about myself as a horror fan and how I engage with the genre and uh, and how society at large engages with the genre. So thank you for Me bringing this conversation to us. That uh, Where can people find you in social media if they want to engage with you there and, and talk about these topics? Uh, yeah, so my Twitter handle is appropriately at uh, morbidpsych. Um, and yeah, I would love Cute. to chat with people. I mean, I, I, I like chatting with horror fans in general just to find out what, how, what do they think about this, right? I mean, what are people's kind of intuitions about why horror helps them or doesn't? I mean, that's where a lot of my research questions have come from because there's not any scientific literature on it. So uh, kind of going to mm-hmm. the people and seeing what questions they have. Perfect. Well, hopefully we can send some dark copers yes, your way. Yes, please do. Yes. <laughs> Trademark, <laughs> copyright. Dark copers, TM. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Brian Keith Montgomery Jr. is an up-and-coming filmmaker who focuses on bringing hot-button issues to the forefront in his short films. Here's our conversation with him about why horror is the perfect genre to do just that. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to talk with you and get to know you a little bit. Um, So what got you interested in the horror genre? You know, um, it's always been like the passive thing to put on the background like while you're doing other things. And then all of a sudden it just grabs your attention at like like just certain moments. And then there's just really good horror movies that just keep your attention the entire time. And I kind of just find like pulp to just be so entertaining. And I, and I love horror movies and I've always wanted to make them just because I like making entertaining movies. But, uh, but I think for me, like horror can do so much as well. It's such a good like, tortilla chip that can deliver mm. any type of salsa. <laughs> oh, I like that. I'm loving the metaphor, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Do you remember what the first film was that that uh, caught your attention, that totally. piqued your interest? You know, it's so funny. I, I did a, a podcast on this uh, with, I think it's Nightmare Hour, the Nightmare Hour is there in Kansas City. And the first horror movie that I, I ever saw which a lot of people wouldn't consider a horror movie was Michael Jackson's Thriller, and mm, yeah, I was. I think it counts. I think it counts. I think it definitely counts. And I was a kid when I saw it, and it really blew my mind because it was scary, and it was like it was like black people in horror, and it was just kind of right. freaky, right? And uh, and then as I got older, like I really didn't like horror because that movie scared the crap out of me, and so <laughs> I th- I think. Uh, I think the the next experience that I had that was a big one was Friday the Thirteenth the remake the one that Michael Bay produced. I saw that in mm. theaters when I was when I was in high school and I was like that wasn't so bad and I really liked that movie. It was really entertaining. 
I just rewatched Thriller. I have a, I have Thriller on VHS, and it's got this great featurette. Um, I the just behind the scenes. It last. Yeah, it's, that behind the scenes. Oh, it's really so good. Cool. It's really good. It's really good. You know, it's really incredible. It's genuinely scary. Oh yeah. Um, the part the I don't know why this specific thing always stuck with me, but there's a part where they show them like putting the yellow eye things <laughs> into Michael Jackson's eyes. I remember just being like, "Ow, oh, <laughs> that yeah, looks so man. painful." <laughs> so how, or I guess like, how did you get into making horror films? Like, um, how old were you when it began? So, so what ended up happening was uh, I had started out in like comedy, and then like I was like, man, I feel like I don't want to get pigeonholed into that because when you do comedy, you're you like you're a comedy person, unless you're like Jordan Peele, and then you can like hop over because you have a name for yourself. But I was like, let me just try out and just like make a horror short, and so that was in college. And I did a short film called Postman on Deliver on Christmas. And it was nothing social about it at all or anything. It was just a, a straightforward horror movie. And I was like, I like this. I like this a lot. And I like like the world in which you can build during horror movies. So I kept doing that. And then eventually, uh, in 2016, I decided that like I really wanted to have a voice in my horror movies. And... It was like such a bad year, you know, like Donald Trump was running for president and like Brock Turner got off like for six months for like mm. raping that girl and and all these things were just like piling up. And I was like, man, I want to talk about that stuff. Like, how do I do that? And I was like, you know what, let me, let me, let me, let me put it in my work. Like that's, that's, a, that's a, like a good idea. And so then that, that bred um, alternative horror, which is my branding. And I, and that's what like. When I was like, okay, now I'm a horror filmmaker, and this is what I do. And that was kind of like the, the thing. Was there a specific film that kind of unlocked that idea for you, that that horror was uh, a really um, valid way to deal with social issues? It, 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 I think it was that, it was more before it was social issues, it was what the genre could do in making you feel something. I mean, you, we, mm. all of us, the three of us, we watch movies all the time, and it's rare that you actually feel something when you watch a movie. Yeah. Everything's just on in the background. And so I remember I was watching um, Enter the Void, which isn't a horror movie, but there's a scene in Enter the Void where I was like, that was a life-changing moment for me because it scared the shit out of me, and it was like, I have never had a movie do that to me before. And so after that, I was like, man, I could put those emotions into a movie, but how do you do that? It's better to just make people feel the tension like, like that's, that's like in the film. And um, there's just a lot of movies that I was watching in college that I felt like, man, these really are saying something about, about movies. And so those, those two things kind of linked up. One of those movies was, um, you ever see Society? The, the, the movie Society? Ooh, yeah. I love that movie. Brian Usna? Yeah, man. I love that movie, and I love body horror, and I just love what, what it's saying about like classism, and it still is, and that movie's still relevant. Um, and it, it just takes this pulpy approach to like talking about this thing. Um, American Psycho as well, you know? Like, I, I love what that's saying about the American dream. Love it. And, and those movies really, to me, like put forth um, uh, sort of like just themes that you wouldn't typically get in like like horror movies. So it, it can be done, but I think sometimes they're a little heavier on the head. And that's, I think, where the satire comes in, which like society in American mm-hmm. Psycho is. Sapphire, did you say you have not seen Society? I have not. Oh, boy. I 
I want you to watch it if you would, and I and I know the texts I will get from you while you watch it. <laughs> I can already. I don't know whether or not you'll like it, but I just know at least some of the texts I'll get, and I'm lo- already looking forward to them. Oh boy, oh boy, okay. it's it's. Add it to my list. Are there any other films that you would say um, inspired your work? And do you have any like absolute favorite horror films? Totally. Um, my favorite horror film of all time is Possession. And so this, which I have not seen, you have not seen Possession. Possession is a masterpiece. So basically, uh, Andreas Olowski, Polish filmmaker, uh, he'd gone through divorce, a really nasty divorce, and he did his first American movie. And Sam Neill um, stars in it. And basically, it's like the whole movie, his wife is slowly like creating this demon, and He's like trying to get her back because they're going through like a horrible divorce. And the movie is just like an allegory for everything he went through. But he took he took what he was going through and he just made it sort of like mythology like mythological and like kind of crazy. And it's just it's so entertaining. And I remember watching it for the fourth time and being like, I now completely understand this movie and what it was saying. <laughs> and it says a lot about relationships and it's it's really entertaining it's really good stuff and it's good that it opens up a conversation about like divorce and marriage <laughs> it's really cool uh who are your some of your favorite filmmakers uh who are some of your favorite horror filmmakers specifically that maybe occupy a space that 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 you also occupy something that kind of feels like it's in the same wheelhouse totally man um what's interesting about that is like I love horror filmmakers, but then like my style comes more from like other filmmakers that I love, like um, like Paul Schrader, who didn't do many horror movies. But I would say uh, biggest influence horror wise probably by Brian De Palma, and it's just uh-huh. like his way that he like because Carrie is one of my favorite movies too, one of my favorite mm-hmm. horror movies, and it's just the way that he like takes an like, such a pulpy ass approach to a, like a, a subject matter that like needs to be talked about in some way or another and a lot of them don't age as well because like you know it was the 80s but I, I think that he had a real way of, of approaching things that was like really open to like a majority of audiences uh, and that's and that's something that is really admirable I, I think horror is definitely a device whether people like it or not I know I often get like a lot of criticism about my movies because people say like keep keep social messages out of move out of poor movies. Keep, I hate yeah. that line of thinking so much oh, because yeah. all every story you tell is going to be political in some way. Oh, Any yeah. art that comes from a person has a message. Even if you don't think there's a message, there will always be some sort of point of view because every person has a point of view. So I I hate that so much. 100%. And I and I've and I've had like on Reddit, I've had like arguments with people, and then like on like the YouTube comments, which are insane, where like everyone's never look at the. Oh, I love them! <laughs> I love them so much. I can't, I can't look away, and I like to answer them too because I don't, I don't really care if someone says, <laughs> I, I hate this movie about guns. It's like, did you watch it yet? <laughs> did you, did you watch it? <laughs> so you embrace your trolls? Oh, absolutely! I kind, I kind of love internet them. monsters. Oh yeah. <laughs> Because there's a stopping point for everybody. And if you give a person, like, an actual decent argument and, and they're just trying to ask you, well, what about this? And I go, well, this about this. And eventually they'll just go, right. okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
lived my whole life in fear of assholes like that. Guys who are bigger than me that enjoy unfair fights because it made them feel good to be above somebody else. I am sick of being stepped on. So I decided it was never going to happen again. Well, let's talk about the altar short that, that, that we saw, Good Guy with a Gun. Uh, that deals with a lot of relevant issues head on. Oh, yeah. uh, was there a specific incident or occurrence that brought about that idea, or was it just these issues at large? Oh, How'd that come about? Oh, man. So, you know, we, we talk about mass shootings and, and everything else, and I remember I it was a really scary time living in L.A. because a bar mm -hmm. that I had went to, uh, had gotten shot up, like, and I hadn't been there in like months, but like I'd been to that bar, and I remember mm -hmm. thinking to myself, like, nah, that stuff only happens in the Midwest or like I mean Middle America, but it happened here in L.A., and I was like, damn, that's scary. I need to get a gun, and then I had watched the movie Vox Lux, which I thought was incredible, and the ending of that movie, like, left me with this feeling where like, I felt really scared on the inside, and I remember sitting in a bar and and. Like after watching that movie, being afraid that someone's gonna come and come shoot up the place, and so, to me, that was one. That's like the, the, the thing that scares me the absolute most is just someone walking in and taking my life for no reason, and it happens every day, and so, the the, the thing that created the guy with a gun was my fear of fear making me want to go and buy a gun, and how it's just mm -hmm. like a cyclical thing, and and that's right. what created the movie, and I and I wanted to to put it in the hands of the worst person who could possibly get that idea. And, and, and that's just what the movie was. And it upset a lot of people. And it's, and it's awesome. <laughs> it's really awesome. <laughs> I, I think like it's good to have people have strong reactions oh, yeah. to what you make. Otherwise, what's the point? What's the point, man? <laughs> it's like what Eminem says, if they're, not, if they're not picketing you in the street, like what are you doing? So, like, I, yeah, I love, I love that, you know? Have you always had, it takes a certain amount of courage, I think, to tackle content like that. Have you always right. had that uh, kind of confidence in, in your material? Or has that come over time in, in, you know, making things and getting critiqued and having that back and forth and getting on Reddit and confronting <laughs> the trolls? How did that, uh, how has that boldness uh taken shape you know i think it started in high school wanting to make the movies that i was watching and i watched a lot of transgressive stuff and a lot of just like oh, what's the word i'm looking for a lot of um i don't know non-conventional movies that just really pushed the envelope and i wanted to shoot like a lot of violence in high school i wanted to shoot a lot of like sex scenes in high school never did of course but like i wanted to do all these things <laughs> <laughs> and, and so Eventually, the moment that I could, I did, and I was like, "Why doesn't this work?" <laughs> and, and, then, and it's like, "Well, I'm not saying anything." So eventually, like, I just wanted to say things, and I think I, I've always wanted to uh, put as much as I could on the screen, on the screen, and not be like, uh, not, not not do too much to where it feels like exploitation, exploitation, but to do it enough where I get people's attention. And so that that's mm -hmm. that's kind of always been the idea, and I think it did take time. Uh, I've made a lot of shorts, and over time, more and more people criticize me, and I think I, I've gotten to a point where I'm like, okay, I need you to give my vision, and if I love it, uh, there's definitely gonna be someone else who loves it, and that's and that's right. the the goal of being a filmmaker is making a movie that you want to see because you're your own biggest critic. How did the name 
how did you come up with the the branding that that you're currently ending this all uh, that you're currently under this alt horror? It was it was a different approach to horror because my movies I, they take genre tropes, they take the horror tropes of, of being a horror movie, but man, they don't have a fantastical element to them at all. And the fantastical element of the movies, mm. like if you wanted to say, I guess it's the the fact that they're satire. But the 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 two shorts that I've made uh, in the in like the past three years, they have become more and more relevant, and the satire kind of leaves them more and more as time goes on, which is wild. I made Good Guy with a Gun. I shot it a year ago, and then Kyle Rittenhouse happened like a month before we released the mm. short, and those things, those those. Those uh, those the the movie and that event are just so hand in hand. Do you find it difficult to portray the actions of characters like this without incidentally glorifying them? Are you concerned with that, or do you just stay the course with the message that you know you're trying to get out there, and you know trust your gut in essence? It's it's a lot of it is trusting my gut, but I think so much of it is that the satire element of it. Let's me know at least. Hey, I think this is absolutely absurd, but do do other people? I I think they should, and I think at least seventy percent of the audience should. And if someone feels an uprising coming from my, oh, I really relate to this guy, and I want to be this guy, then my my, my short film isn't the problem. But what my short film mm-hmm. is about is is the problem. So it, it's interesting enough because there's there's a sequence in the film where um, the the guy. He, he rapes the girl, and after he does it, he says, uh, she claims I raped her. And you see, look at the YouTube comments. <laughs> and there's just like, there's like yeah. three kids who are like, oh man, look, the guy didn't didn't do that. The girl lied on him, and then this, this, and that. And I go, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> are you kidding right. me? Excuse my language. Um, but Yeah, I think you can say, are you fucking kidding, are you fucking me? kidding me? We're dude? all adults are here. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. You know? And... It's like I have to go in the comments and say, no, he definitely did. And she was unconscious and she was drunk. And like, what do you consider to be consent? And so it, it goes to show that the conversation needs to happen. And mm-hmm. and if that person brings that up in the comments, like someone else better jump on him and say, what are you talking about? That 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 that, that was consent. Like, what do you mean? So I, I think it's kind of a necessity, you know. It kind of reminds me of, I don't know if you guys have seen um, those memes that are like, you're, uh, you're missing the point by worshipping these characters. And it's like uh, Rick from Rick and Morty, <laughs> Bojack from Bojack Horseman, oh, no, uh, Walt Whitman from, from uh, Breaking yeah, Bad. Walter White, yeah. Have you seen those? Oh, Walter White. Yeah. What did I say? Walt Whitman? Yeah, oh, Walt Whitman. Which is funny because it's the, <laughs> yes, the, poet, the poet, Walt Whitman. God yeah. damn it, Walter White. That drug dealer, <laughs> Walt Whitman. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, that's something that um, I always find interesting is how sometimes certain people will um, totally misinterpret the uh, shows or the movies that is being presented to them. And that's really, that's a problem. It's a problem. It is a problem. Because <laughs> yeah. then what do you do? Because um, I, and this is something that we talk about in the class that I teach, actually, and I don't have an answer for it, but because um, we talk about Family Guy a lot and how it presents a lot of really you know, just like stereotypical kind of like racist defensive kind of stuff yeah. and um but the the problem is that like you know me as a i mean well i don't know i mean i guess like me watching it i understand okay they're 
provoking to provoke. But there's a lot of people who watch Family Guy who don't think that way. Yeah. Or they think it's funny because of the problematic stuff. So I don't know what point I'm trying to make here, but no, it's no, an you're interesting, a, like... Yeah, you're making a... <laughs> <laughs> you know, a little dance to do, yeah. <laughs> you're making a very yeah. good point. And I think <laughs> you, you look at um, what's the difference between my film and then, you know, like anybody could watch a slasher film and then actually think, oh, wow, I like that Michael Myers. You could look... He's a great guy. Yeah, yeah he's a great guy. <laughs> and I mean, it's all about... It's not the movie. And it's not the video games. Mm-hmm. It's not the... No, it's it's... It's the culture. It's what we what we feed with our laws and our and everything else. It's it, it's not the movies. So we did touch on it a little bit in our conversation, but um, just like wondering what your final thoughts are on why the horror genre specifically is so good at tackling really important social issues. Well, you know, uh, fear comes from somewhere. And so, you know, horror movies are meant to scare you. And what scares you more than the fears that you already have? They come and they, and they leak out on, on, on the big screen. And so, you know, you take what everyone's feeling at the, at the, at like the moment, the zeitgeist, and you put it into a movie and you can mask it however you want to. You can call it Frankenstein, you can call it Dracula. But at the end of the day, like all these movies, the reason why they resonate with people is because it's kind of giving you this out-of-body experience about what you're feeling in real life. And I think that's why horror is the best way to, to, to really discuss and bring forth a lot of societal issues. Let me ask you this. If there were a horror film made about 2020 <laughs> and there had to be a monster that was the metaphorical representation <laughs> of all of our fears that have come together over the course of 2020, what would that monster be made up I'll of? I'll tell you what it'd be, man. It would be like Mars attacks, but it would be like the like oh. Donald Trump is an alien, right? And he's being controlled, <laughs> and he's he's being controlled. No, he's controlling all of us. Well, he's in cahoots with the Russians, <laughs> and, and, and so <laughs> and so it, it's it's almost like a scene in Little Nicky. Where the where the priest is actually like the demon brothers, <laughs> they're just telling people to like do things that are completely yep. against the Bible. That's what it would be. <laughs> it would be like that. <laughs> if I was the head of a studio, I would say green, green light, light, sir. Green light. Go make it. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Brian, and uh, best of luck to all that you have going for you. We can't wait to see what powerful project you come up with next. Thank you so much, man. It's been a pleasure. It is time for the very first edition of the Alter Society. That's right. We'll put in some, you know, air horn sounds and a crowd <laughs> cheering right there. Because the Alter Society is Alter Weekly's official movie club. <gasps> so exciting. <gasps> <laughs> Gasp. We're going to watch a movie this upcoming week, and we want all of you to watch it with us. But, plot twist, we're going to watch two this week. Whoa. I chose, yeah, two films, <laughs> huge if true. And guess what? It is. We're going to watch May the Devil Take You and May the Devil Take You Too. I just saw that the sequel is is out on Shutter, so it made me want to watch them both. I have not seen either of them. Neither have I. But the first film, the first film, and they're, they're supposedly they're very, very creepy, uh, Indonesian supernatural Ooh. 
haunting horror films. I love me an Indonesian film. <laughs> I'm all in. We're going to watch May the Devil Take You and May the Devil Take You Too this upcoming week, and we'll talk about it on next week's episode of Alter Weekly. So become a part of Alter Society and join us in the discussion. Before we sign off, we wanted to let you know what's coming up on Alter next week. On November 9th, Rito De Paso. After closing his eyes, our hero wakes up in another world. There, he awaits the arrival of someone on top of a mountain. Together, they will walk deep into the woods with the intention of rescuing their dearest loved one from the clutches of a mysterious secret society led by a fearsome woman who will implement a cathartic ritual, allowing the appearance of the shadows from their past. On November 11th, The Deal. The Deal is a psychological thriller about unexpected change. But for Bryce, the prom king quarterback, change isn't good, especially when what's left of his life vanishes before his eyes. And finally, on November 13th, filth. Bloodied, bruised, and left for dead, a man will stop at nothing to exact gruesome revenge on those who wronged him. And that's it for this week's episode of Alter Weekly. Until next time, stay altered. New episodes of Alter Weekly are out every Thursday. Get them wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe and download. Alter Weekly is produced by Andrew Bowser with theme music by Sapphire Sandalo and executive produced by Stephen Michael at Gunpowder and Sky. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.